This podcast series is based on a book called Beyond Reasonable Greed, Why Sustainable Business is a Much Better Idea by Wayne Visser and Clem Sumter, read by myself, Wayne Visser. Governance, Council of the Animals Governance is a word that lions don't like much. It smacks too much of giving away power or sharing supper. Lion directors prefer the freedom of making all their decisions in secret councils or while they're on the run, with no justification needed and no recourse back to them. Why should they consult beyond their colleagues in the inner sanctum on whether to swallow up another company or shut down an operation and retrench thousands of workers? These are strategic matters that only the board can decide on. The pride rules. Lions want power and autonomy, not for their own sake, they are quick to add, but because they need to make things happen and fast. Opportunities and threats come and go at cheetah-like speed, whether they are stock market fluctuations, competitor tactics, product innovations, or customer fashions. Markets are like the gun-toting Wild West. Fastest on the draw stays alive and lives to chew another roll of tobacco not to mention pocketing a little bit of old booty on the side. Doing business is a verb, they say, not an adjective. It is active, not passive. Feline companies pounce in the twitch of a whisker. In other words, if the Lion King has his way, business is a monarchy, not a democracy. He rules by divine right, issuing edicts from his royal court of directors, And what good is it being a powerful Lion King if you have to explain your every action to the masses or account for the origin and size of your obvious opulence? Lion Kings exist to rule over their subjects, to direct their destiny and control their lives, their daily tasks, their dress code, their beliefs and their lifestyle. The people must be made to serve with unquestioning loyalty and contribute towards the overheads of running the royal court. And if they disobey, the long arm of the poor will catch up with them. To question a lion's choice of prey or hunting style is to invite getting your head bitten off. Lions expect everyone to trust their feline instincts and appetite-driven judgments unreservedly. After all, no lion ever caught an antelope or conquered a country or captured a market by asking the buffalo for advice or sitting around a thorn tree discussing it with the warthog, or asking permission from the rhinoceros. And those who would criticize the laws of the jungle should reserve their irritating chatter for the monkeys. Maybe they will listen. This starts to get down to the heart of the governance debate, namely the dual issues of control and transparency. You don't need to ask a lion who should be in charge. But if you are a springbok or a zebra or a giraffe, you may want to have a say in the way that the bushveld is run. In particular, you may want to question the lion's right to kill off whomsoever he pleases, whensoever he pleases. Or his right to fatten himself and his pride while the rest of the animals are starving during a drought. Or to be the growling censor of any information put out by the company on how it is run. Extracting facts is like extracting teeth, difficult when it's the lion's mouth you're trying to get them out of. 
However, the seeds of a popular revolt have been planted with the demonstrations in Seattle in 1999, serving as a sign of things to come. And the demonstrations have got worse despite a growing security shield around each high and mighty meeting. The frustration and anger about the unhealthy power balance in the world has boiled over with increasing violence in every city where the political establishment have met. Quite simply, the gap is getting too wide between the rich and the poor countries and between the rich and the poor within countries. For their part, the corporate lines participate annually in noble-sounding debates at the World Economic Forum, licking their paws and knowing full well that they will never be called upon to implement any resolutions that come out of it. They will be free to go on as they please. Companies have become more powerful than governments, yet the millions whose lives they affect have little or no say in what they do. The public do not choose which companies are allowed to exist and operate in their communities, nor do they elect the directors and managers. Yes, they do buy the company's products and services as consumers and are free to switch from one company to another. But as we've emphasized already, the invisible hand of the market exerts limited pressure. The only real accountability that business has is to itself and its lion-leaning shareholders. If, as a result of corporate actions, national economies go into crisis or communities suffer or the environment is degraded, it is seldom that the shareholders and company directors go into battle against one another. The share price has to drop for that to happen. The shenanigans at Enron would never have become public if Enron had not gone bust as a result. But the world is shape-shifting to some extent. Elephant activists are trumpeting their concerns loudly enough for the lions finally to be taking notice. Over the past decades, for example, numerous corporate governance codes have emerged, which require companies to give a more transparent account of how their business is being run and the impacts on the various stakeholder groups. One of the most recent and progressive documents is South Africa's revised King Report, which even makes explicit recommendations on sustainability reporting and social and ethical accountability. Shapeshifting goes beyond putting ticks in boxes, however. At the end of the day, it is once again about values and behavior. Companies that perpetuate the widening gap between rich and poor in their own payroll profile are always going to fall into the lion's cap. Companies that persist in managing from the top down will never turn their fangs into tusks. And companies that only create partnerships that benefit themselves may learn to purr, but they will never lose their roar. Elephant companies, on the other hand, embrace the principles and practices of good governance with passion. They worry less about controlling and more about caring and sharing. They volunteer. They don't grudgingly concede. In order to implement governance at a practical level, shape-shifting needs to occur in at least three areas. Company incentive systems, decision-making processes, and communication methods. In exploring these issues, it is instructive once again to contrast Western and Southern cultural dynamics. For example, in traditional African culture, it is socially undesirable and inappropriate to behave so as to stand out from the crowd in the way that individual achievement is promoted in Anglo-Saxon culture. The reason is that such behavior may destroy vital social cohesion 
in a community by creating destructive competition or undermining the respected role of the elders in the tribe. This is not to say that individuals are not encouraged to master areas in which they display a particular aptitude or natural gift. On the contrary, skillful specialization, whether as a healer, artist, hunter or leader, has always been a key element in enabling communities to survive and thrive. But the context for this achievement is carefully managed through strict social rules in order to ensure that it enhances the common good and maintains social cohesion of the unit. Contrast this with the stereotypical reward system in the West that tends to be based on individual merit regardless of what it does to the rest of the team. Cash Build is a pioneering South African company that showed how elephant thinking could be put into practice in business long before corporate governance had become a catchphrase. For instance, in the 1980s, they revised their performance appraisal system so that they were geared towards rewarding team achievements while also rewarding individual contributions to the improvement of the functioning of the team as a whole. In this way, the poor and mediocre performers are encouraged to raise their standards, in contrast to the situation where higher performers lower their standards to maintain their identification with the group. According to former managing director of CashBuild, Albert Kurpmann, replacing reward and punishment systems with systems based on peer recognition and rejection makes good business sense. For example, under CashBuild's old reward-punishment system, the company could never reduce employee absenteeism and lost hours to a figure below 15%, despite repeated warning letters and disciplinary procedures. Then, when they used the peer group concept, by simply placing red marks next to late or absent employees' names on a publicly displayed chart with no management reprimand, lost hours immediately dropped to 1%. Cashbuild also introduced other innovative practices. They held extensive sharing sessions among employees aimed at deepening understanding of diverse histories, cultures and values in the workplace. They removed the power imbalance in management labor relations through the empowerment of shop steward committees and other representative councils. And once a year, the company held a three-day communal gathering, the Great Indaba, during which every employee had the opportunity to make his or her views on cash build and its leadership heard. This sharing approach resulted in consensus being reached much more quickly on key decisions. In one year, it took a mere 35 minutes to conclude wage negotiations. The Brazilian company Semco, to which reference was made earlier, also shows how to take democracy seriously in the workplace. The company does not hire or promote people until they have been interviewed and accepted by all their future subordinates. Twice a year, subordinates evaluate their immediate managers and everyone in the company fills out an anonymous questionnaire about corporate credibility and top management competence. In addition, all important decisions are made collegially, sometimes even by a company-wide vote. Of course, given the latest advances in computer networks which allow for real-time feedback, it is considerably easier to implement workplace democracy. But the battle-scarred lions have to let go of their control first. The great elephant leader and former South African president, Nelson Mandela, 
gives some clues to this new governance style in his autobiographical Long Walk to Freedom. He recounts his childhood memories of how tribal meetings allowed for the full participation of every Tembu person of the region, without interruption or intervention by the regent chief. He reflects on how these early experiences have influenced his own approach to governance as follows. As a leader, I have always followed the principles I saw demonstrated by the regent at the great place. I have always endeavoured to listen to what each and every person in a discussion had to say before venturing my own opinion. Oftentimes, my own opinion will simply represent a consensus of what I heard in the discussion. Mandela always remembered the regent's axiom, a leader is like a shepherd, he stays behind the flock, letting the most nimble go ahead whereupon the others follow, not realizing that all along they are being directed from behind.